My name is Alex Sarosa, and I am our Family Life Pastor. I'm excited to be with you here today. If this is your first time here, I just want to welcome you to service with us. I know we're like 15 minutes into it already at this point, but thank you so much for deciding to come and invest some of your morning with us. If you've been here two times or a hundred times or whatever, thank you so much for continuing to make us a part of your week. Today, we are concluding our 12-week series called Q&A. It's a message series where we've been taking some of the biggest questions that we have, and we've been going to God for the answers. We're not sharing our opinions or, or simply how we feel or what we think. We're going to God. And you might have noticed throughout this series, if you've been here, that there are a lot of scriptures in every one of these messages. That's because God has a lot to say on those questions that we have on our hearts. So if you have not been here for any of the previous messages, I'd encourage you to go to newlifexn.org or go on our New Life Christian Ministries app to check those out. And I'm going to run through the first 11 questions that we've covered so far in the series before getting to today's topic. So we're going to put them on the screen as well. So, so far, we have asked these questions and looked to God for the answers. Is there more to life than this? Who is Jesus? How can I have faith? Why pray? How does God reveal himself to us? How does God guide us? Who is the Holy Spirit and what does he do? And yes, Pastor Barry had a nice kindergarten cop reference in there. Uh, if, if you don't know what I'm talking about, just go watch it. You'll, you'll understand or run the movie either way. Um, how can I make the most of the rest of my life? How can I resist evil? Why should I tell others? And does God heal today? And then lastly, we are going to cover this question. What about the church? Why are we here and what are we supposed to do? When I was in high school, every year we went to Seneca Hills Bible Camp for a retreat. It was our youth ministry and three other youth ministries, different denominations, all gathering together. Now, I didn't know this at the time, but that was a pretty big deal. Different denominations gathering all under the name of Jesus and living together for this weekend in unity. It was so cool watching my youth pastor and the three other youth pastors be friends and love each other and run this event together. And it was so cool because as we got to worship and learn about God and play games, we didn't do it divisively. We did it in unity. And that's how it felt and this was really my first experience of an expression of the Church of Jesus Christ as it was meant to be experienced, of people coming together, praising Jesus, living in unity in that way. And over the years, I've had different experiences all over the world where I've got to see Jesus work. When I was finishing high school, I went to Mexico and I got to be a part of this worship service and this church family. We were in this building and it was scorching hot and amazing because the people were just so excited. Their enthusiasm for the Lord was overflowing. We would pray for people and it was such an incredible experience in, in, in the culture they had at the church or maybe it's all of Mexico, I have no idea, but they would gather together to pray for someone and whenever you would go up to pray, it wouldn't be like everyone takes turns praying. Everyone would pray at the same time and it just, you could feel the spirit just moving. A couple years after that, I got to go to Haiti and this was right after the country was decimated by a hurricane and as we were walking around, we saw people with their houses just destroyed. And then on Sunday, we gathered together at this open air pavilion to worship. And the joy that people had in praising God was 
literally unbelievable. I didn't expect it. I thought, okay, everyone's going to come. It's going to be a service of maybe lament. People are going to be sad. But it was so filled with joy and hope and thanksgiving for what God has done. It blew me away. And we worshiped for hours. There was even this point where the guy said, hey, do you play guitar? And I said, uh, yes. And now I should have said no. In some of these situations, you go, why? But they gave me a guitar. And they said, just join the band. And I am not nearly gifted enough to do that. So I just uh, stood on stage with an attitude guitar and just strumming it a couple of times. Like, oh yeah, hey, oh, yeah, I don't know what song you're singing, but let's go. And it was, it was, it was really incredible to worship. I didn't know the, the words, but you could tell the Holy Spirit was moving. A couple years after that, I went to a church in Cuba, and we had the pleasure of being a part of a home church. There were 60 people gathered in this small living room-sized area, and it was packed. And what we did was we worshiped alongside a boom box. They just had one set up. And you don't know, if you don't know what a boom box is, you can Google that. And then we put a CD in. And again, if you don't know what a CD is, you could Google that too. And we worshiped uh, alongside the boom box. I never thought that I would uh, be excited to do that. Again, I didn't know the language, but I could tell that the Holy Spirit was moving. And then afterwards for an hour, we simply prayed for anyone that wanted to be prayed for. And we saw God's miracles taking place in that room. A couple years after that, I was in Myanmar, and a group of us from New Life students went up in, and got to experience this orphanage where there was more than 200 kids, and I got to be part of a worship band. We, we used some of us. Tammy was singing in that band, and we, we got to worship alongside this Burmese man on the piano who was incredible. Before we went up, we told them what songs we were going to be leading, and the coolest thing happened. When we got there, they had taught the 200 kids the songs we were leading in English. And so we got to worship together. And it was so exciting. And they were so loud. Like these kids that are displaced from their homes, many of them either don't have families or don't have families that can take care of them, were praising God. And then afterwards, we got to experience God's work through miracles at that event as well, at that church service, at that expression of God's body. Also, in the last year, I've got to experience the expression of the church on Twitch TV with my good friend, Pastor Mark Lutz. He runs Lux Digital Church and a completely online community. But stepping in there in the chat, you got to feel the love and the presence and the relationship building that only happens because of the power of Jesus Christ. It's become abundantly clear to me over the years that the church isn't simply a building. Somewhere along the way, we've stopped saying things like we are the church and we started saying things like we go to church, but that's not technically correct. We are the church. You see, the church isn't a building. It's God's people. It's us. If we trust in Jesus, Lord and Savior, it's me and you. We make up the church. In fact, in the Old Testament, times they had a temple, then that's where God dwelled. But starting in the New Testament times, that was no longer the case. Jesus dwelled with the people. In fact, for the first 300 years of the Christian church, there were no church buildings. It was simply the people of God gathering together. And we learn about that from one of the Apostle Paul's letters to the church in Ephesus. He says this, we are carefully joined together in him, meaning Jesus, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through him, you Gentiles are also made part of this dwelling where God lives by his spirit. He's simply saying that through God's spirit who dwells in us, we are the temple of God and together we make up 
the church. So this is our take-home point. So one point that the message is all about, it comes right from that, those verses in Ephesians, but also every scripture we're going to be sharing today points to this one truth. Those who trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior are the church. We are the church if we trust in Jesus. Now, before we continue on, would you pray with me? Dear God, thank you so much for being here with us right now. I thank you for your truth and your word. I thank you for showing your spirit to us here and throughout the ends of the earth. I pray that as we hear from your words, and I pray that it's all your words, I pray that you'll get me out of the way and it'll simply be you speaking. I pray that you'll help us to draw near to you and grow closer to you today. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. The first picture we get of the New Testament time church, of the early Christian church, is in the book of Acts. You see, there's a guy named Luke went around, and Luke was a doctor. And he went and interviewed people of, about the time that Jesus had recently ascended into heaven. And so he wanted to talk and learn about Jesus and his life and his death and his resurrection. And then he gathered that all together, and he wrote the Gospel of Luke. And then he went and he talked to people about the early church and he wrote a book called Acts or Acts of the Apostles or simply what were the acts that the disciples did after Jesus ascended into heaven. And so he wrote all this down to give us an idea of what the early church is like. He actually wrote these as letters to a friend of his named Theophilus and he was telling him so that Theophilus would know the truth and we get to read it too for the same purpose so that we could know about the truth. In Acts 2, we see this picture of the church. It says, They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who are being saved. So Luke gives us his picture. They gathered in big group settings in the temple, they worshiped God. And then in small group settings, they ate together. And then they served one another. And one of the most powerful things about what Luke wrote is that they had the goodwill of all people. Now, this is important because Luke was interviewing people in a time where the Roman government and the Jewish people did not like Christians. In fact, they were persecuting Christianity. And if you confessed Jesus, you could be beaten or jailed or killed. But Luke still writes that they had the goodwill of all people. He was intentional in that, letting them know that because of the service of the people in the name of Jesus, hearts and minds and lives were being changed. Again, not because of the early church's strength alone, but because of Jesus and his strength dwelling in the people, making them the church and going out and serving God. And all is based around Jesus. Because after all, Jesus is the one who started the church. He founded it more than 2,000 years ago with a small group of people, and it grew, and it grew, and it continues to grow today. In fact, the church is vast. I used to think that the church was declining, but there can be nothing farther from the truth. There's more than 2.4 billion Christians in the world, and experts believe that tens of thousands of people are trusting in Jesus as Lord and Savior every single day. Now, in the United States, sometimes we can feel very discouraged, because right now in the United States, it might not always seem like it is growing. But everywhere in the world, Jesus and his message is being preached. Even in places like the Middle East, where for a very long time it was completely closed off. But it's moving. The word of God is moving because Jesus is among the church and his power literally cannot be stopped. 
We look around and we can see in the year 1900 in Africa, in the whole continent of Africa, there were 10 million Christians. And now in 2000, after they did a survey there, they believe that there's more than 360 million Christians. Now I had to go to our expert business uh, administrator, Dan Michael over there, because I don't uh, know all the math. And I said, hey, what's the growth rate look like for that? And he said, it's a 3,500% growth rate over those 100 years. So Christianity is booming and it's growing. We look at China, and in 1940, there were 4 million Christians. Now experts reckon that there's more than 100 million Christians in China. Even places where the church is actively still being persecuted, and it still is. In the last 100 years, there's more people that have died in the name of Jesus than in all the other years before it. But even in the places where the church is being persecuted, it is still strong and vibrant. You see, the church is strong and vibrant despite persecution because it's founded upon Jesus Christ. And when Jesus is the foundation of the church, that's when we get to experience the expression that God designed for us. After all, the church is his ultimate plan to show him to the world. But when the church's foundation is not on Jesus, but it's on anything else, like people pleasing or whatever you can think of, that's when the church crumbles and fails. But when it's founded upon Jesus, that's when it succeeds, when it's strong and vibrant. And that's because Jesus set it up that he is the head and we are the body. The apostle Paul says this to the church in Colossae. He says, Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is first in everything. So he's the foundation because he's the head, the leader, the decision maker of the church. He's the one that guides and steers the ship. And when we don't do that, we see the results. But when we do do that, what happens is Jesus as the head and us as the body come together and through that, we get to show Jesus to the world. It's the way that God has designed it to work. Paul continues with this analogy in his letter to the Corinthian church. He says this in 1 Corinthians 12. The human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. Some of us are Jews, some are Gentiles, some are slaves, and some are free. But we have all been baptized into one body by one spirit. And we all share the same spirit. Yes, the body has many different parts, not just one part. We all have a part to play. God has designed it specifically that way, that we are a part of the body and that he is the head. Now we have a choice in the matter. God has given us free will to make a choice. And so our choice is this. Either we can accept the rule as part of God's body to being his hands and feet on the earth, or we can decide in rebellion to be the head of our own body. Those are the decisions. He said, you can be a part of my body and be part of the church that brings about his glory and his miracles throughout this earth and changes hearts and minds, or we can start our own in rebellion. But as we do that, we fail to accomplish what God has set out for us to do. In fact, the question really Jesus is asking us is, do you want to do things in his strength or in our strength? The Apostle Paul said this to the church in Philippi, for I can do everything through Christ, meaning Jesus Christ, who gives me strength. Everything is possible with Jesus, but by ourselves, we can't accomplish anything. And once we understand that, when we understand we can do nothing apart from Jesus, but all things through Jesus, 
will witness his power as he changes the world. Now, you might be thinking, well, I surely can do something apart from Jesus. And the truth is, people throughout the years have done things outside of Jesus' will and power. Even churches sometimes operate completely outside of the will and power of Jesus. But when those actions are taken outside of Jesus, nothing lasting will remain. But when we take our efforts and when we do things in the strength of God, that's when things last and endure. That's when things matter. Sure, so we can do things outside of God's purpose, but it won't last, it won't endure, it won't matter. But we can do things with the power of God who has all the power in the universe and that's when we'll see it have an eternal impact. Many people over the years have asked me, why do you share so many stories about the miracles happening in other countries, but not often here? And there's two answers. One, because, well, there is miracles that happen here in in the church in America and we probably should share more of them. But also, it's because people in churches all across America have decided to vacate their position as a part of the body of Jesus and have taken up the role of the head of a rebellious body. And make no mistake, God's body has one head, not two. So no matter how brilliant we think we are, he's the decision maker. He's the one that sets up life as it's meant to be lived. He's given us his words to guide us. And when we follow him, that's when we see his power unleashed. In fact, that's why whenever I go to different places and I don't even know the language, I can feel the Holy Spirit moving. It's because it's not about me. It's not even about the musicians. It's not even about the words. It's about God and his spirit moving. You see, God's power isn't unleashed by our strength, but by our submission to his strength. And so when people step into buildings like ours, they should feel that. They should feel the Holy Spirit moving. They should feel that there's something divine and different about worship gatherings because they're not in the name of us. They're in the name of Jesus. But the same is true whenever we are out in the world doing whatever we do, wherever we live, work, learn, or play. God should be present in those times too. People should be able to sense something different in us. Why? Because we are the church. We are the body of Jesus. And so wherever we go, people should start to notice and say, there is something different. And the answer to that difference is Jesus. And as we go and we carry Jesus with us, again, he's the head, we're the body, and together we'll show the world Jesus. And I want this. I want this for my friends and my family. I have people that I love dearly that don't know Jesus. And I want them to know Jesus. I want that for your friends and your family as well. And the only way that they're going to come to Jesus is if they have a spiritual appetite form in them that makes them go, what am I missing? Watchman Nee in his book, The Normal Christian Life, puts it this way. If you set a delicious cake in front of two men who have just had a heavy meal, what will be their reaction? They will talk about it, admire its appearance, discuss the recipe, argue about the cost, do everything in fact, but eat it. But if they are truly hungry, it will not be very long before the cake is gone. And so it is with the things of the Spirit. No true work will ever begin in a life without, first of all, a sense of need being created. But how can this be done? We cannot inject spiritual appetite by force into others. We cannot compel people to be hungry. Hunger has to be created, and it can be created in others only by those who carry with them the impressions of God. You see, we are the church. Jesus is the key. He is the head. And if we want our friends and family 
to have that spiritual appetite, what we got to do is show them Jesus through our lives. If we want what happened in the early church, that New Testament church where followers are, are people are becoming believers of Jesus every single day and the Holy Spirit is working, miracles are going forth, what we must do is rely on God's power and not ours. Because this won't happen. I can't physically force my friends and family to trust in Jesus. It won't happen in my power, won't happen in your power, but it will happen in Jesus' power when we collectively, united, go to Jesus and say, we are the body together. And this is why Jesus prayed for us and prayed that we would be unified. He prayed for his disciples, but he prayed for all those who would believe in Jesus as Lord and Savior someday. His disciple John wrote this down. And this is in John 17, 20 through 21. I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. So that's us. I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one. As you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. Jesus was praying that we would be unified because there's power in unity. In fact, in the book of Genesis, there's an account of people that gather together in unity to make a tower for themselves so that they would be worshipped, so that they would stand in their minds above God. But this was evil and God did not want it to happen. So God responded and we see the response in Genesis eleven six. God said, look, he said, the people are united and they all speak the same language. After this, nothing they set out to do will be impossible for them. He said nothing they set out to do in unity would be impossible for them. So what he did was he scattered them so they could no longer be united in evil. And then God sent Jesus to unite us once again, but this time in his love and his mercy and his grace. And when we are united with Jesus, the same principle remains, nothing will be impossible with him. Again, this is how the church was meant to operate, that you and me would be joined together and through that, God's plan would go throughout the world and God's plan is a good one and it won't be stopped by human means because God is that good and that powerful. So what do we do? How do we join together as the body of Jesus, as the family of Jesus, as the church? Well, Paul continued to write in, in the book of uh, 1 Corinthians, and this is chapter 12 again. This is 20 through 27. And, and I'm not reading the whole chapter of 1 Corinthians 12, but it's a great one. So if you have time today, I really encourage you to go home and, and read that on your Bible or your Bible app. It says this, in, starting in verse 20. Yes, there are many parts, but only one body. The eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. The hand can, can't say to the feet, I don't need you. In fact, those parts of the body that seem weakest and least important are actually the most necessary. And the parts we regard as less honorable are those we clothe with the greatest care. So we carefully protect those parts that should not be seen. While the more honorable parts do not require this special care. So God has put the body together such that extra honor and care are given to those parts that have less dignity. This makes for harmony among the members so that all the members care for each other. If one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. And if one part is honored, all the parts are glad. All of you together are Christ's body and each of you is a part of it. We are the body and we're meant to take care of the other parts of the body. 
In the spring, I woke up on a Saturday. It was the day of our New Life students' one-day retreat at Seneca Hills Bible Camp. Uh, We've been going there every year in the fall, and we go there as well in the spring for a day, for a uh, one-day retreat. And I was so excited because I got to go up and speak in the morning. But I woke up that morning with this terrible headache. And I knew that I wasn't feeling great leading up to that day. And I knew I probably shouldn't go. But I really wanted to, so I, uh, I headed up anyway. And then when I got there, I got to speak. And then I know I probably should have laid down or went home after that. But instead, I played some games and got really, really increasingly tired. And then my headache just kind of started to go throughout my whole body. And I just felt achy and awful. So finally, I decided, all right, I'm going to leave. I'm going to go home early. So I, I drove home and I was like fighting to stay awake the whole drive home. And then I got home and I fell asleep. A couple hours later, I woke up to go to the bathroom, and on the way back to bed, I passed out. I was just walking, and then all of a sudden, my wife was turning me over, and I was on the ground. She had heard a big, loud thud, and she ran to see what was going on, and she turned me over, and I was just covered in blood. My glasses that I was wearing, I had fallen in such a way that the lens cut right underneath my eyebrow. And if you've ever been cut in the face, you know that there's a lot of blood. And so she turned me over and I had blood on my arms and blood all over my face. And she is reason, I mean, freaking out, like you would imagine. And so I'm trying to calm her down. I'm trying to say, hey, I think it's okay. I'm just, just really bloody. It's fine. Like, I think, I think it's okay. And so, but again, I was like, did my arms, who knows? And so we got cleaned up. She got the bandage on and it was, it was the cut. I still have a little scar from it uh, today. And then and I went back to bed. But I look back at that time and I go, the warning signs were there. I'd been burning the candle at both ends leading up to that day. I hadn't been feeling my best. That morning, my body gave me some more warning signs. I had a headache. I learned later that it was a fever that I was struggling with. And I still went about my day until finally my whole body just gave out. The same is true with us. We're the body of Jesus. And if we neglect to care for one part of the body, the whole body is going to suffer. So we must care for each other. How do we do that? What do we do? Thanks be to God is in his word, there's so many helpful information on what to do as the body and the church together. First thing I want to read is from Hebrews 10.25. It says, And let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. So first, we got to meet together. We can't neglect meeting together. I have some friends that have said to me over the years that, that they are a Christian, but they don't really need to go to church with other Christians with other people. And the response is that I'm married, but I don't technically need to go home to my wife at night. But if I don't go home, our relationship's going to suffer. Same thing is true with us. If we stay away so long, the relationship with the body is going to suffer. And again, we want to take care of all the parts of the body. The second thing it said is that we must encourage each other. Encourage each other as a day of Jesus' return is drawing near. These days are hard, they're difficult, they're bleak. And so during these days where it just feels like there's no hope, let us encourage each other because there is hope in the name of Jesus and there's goodness and there's power in that. So let's lift one another up. Let's give each other the benefit of the doubt. Let's help each other by encouraging one another. What else do we do? Jesus said this in Matthew 18, 15. 
If another believer sins against you, go privately and point out the offense. If the other person listens and confesses it, you have won that person back. Now, this isn't as easy, for me at least, as encouraging, but it's so important. Confronting someone in truth and love will help the unity. Because the other, op- the other option, if you're not confronting someone in truth and love, is that you're gossiping or you're complaining or you're allowing anger to fester. And that's just going to damage the body. But if we go to someone humbly in truth and love and say, I have an issue and this is the issue, and you're wanting to help the family grow together, it's going to help us be unified. What else do we do? Galatians 6, 1 through 3. Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. And be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Share each other's burdens, and in this way, obey the law of Christ. If you think you are too important to help someone, you're only fooling yourself. You are not that important. That kind of cuts sometimes, but it's true, right? Jesus showed us this example. He came to serve us. He came and he left his perfect dwelling place in heaven so that we could be in this relationship with God. He died and rose again for you and me in the same way we are meant to serve one another. And sure, New Life Christian Ministries corporately does this. We have Stephen ministers and blessing bags, greatest need and prayer partners, but we're all called to carry one another's burdens, to look out for when someone else is hurting and to serve them and to love them because again, we're part of the same body. And when we do that, when we care for each other, we become unified, unified under the name of Jesus. When we do that, we will see the church as it was designed to be seen by the world. And do, by doing that, as we not only do that here, but as we live every day, wherever we go, people are gonna see that. And there's gonna be spiritual appetite that starts to grow and people are gonna find out about Jesus and come to know him as Lord and Savior. And that is the purpose of the church. That's why God has designed it the way that he designed it, and that's the way he wants it to work. Him as the head, us as the body, loving one another and helping each other out. So practically, we can live that out with this next step. I will care for the other parts of the body of Jesus Christ this week. So we live together, we encourage each other, We challenge each other as well. We carry each other's burdens. And in doing that, we become the body of Jesus. 